Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast of church nerdery and many other things. Hi, I'm Kirk. I'm a church musician and a history teacher. Is this where I introduce myself? That would have been. <laughs> I'm Christopher Haberman, <laughs> uh, hence the name Haber Bros. Um, it, this is my brother, Kirk Haberman, and I'm Christopher Haberman, and I am an Anglican priest uh, and, the, and father of two. Um, yeah. Hey, welcome, everyone. Uh, we, uh, I'd like to introduce the vision and the structure of this podcast. Um, we'd like to do scripture, theology, and culture. And so in the scripture section, um, we aim to read the gospel for the coming Sunday. And not all of you may share our gospel readings, and we'll explain how that works in the future. Uh, we'd like to do a segment on theology, and some of that may be seasonal and topical. Um, a lot of that can rely upon listener feedback. Um, there are endless theological topics that we can converse upon. So we're certain to never run short on but those Kirk, things. But Kirk, fun, yes. I'm an yes. Anglican. You're an Anglican. Do you have to be an Anglican to appreciate this podcast? Uh, I think it's important to say that no, um, we are, and uh, we're going to try not to be too angular with our Anglican identity. Um, um, yet there, we, that's certainly a part of who we are. No, you do not have to be Anglican to appreciate this podcast. And I hope that many non-Anglicans will listen. No well. angles, lots of curves. I agree with all of that. Um, it, it's a very Anglican thing to be um, both inclusive of angles and curves, mm -hmm. right? Angular, <laughs> avuncular, um, all those things. I agree. And uh, segment three, um, we want to engage the culture. So whether that's books, that's movies, um, articles, biographies, uh, we, um, as a church, we don't exist in a vacuum. Um, we, we are embedded in a culture. And so we want to engage with that as well. Um, Speaking so, of culture, we, we are recording yes. on Tuesday, uh, March. What's, what's the date today? March 24th, in the midst of the coronavirus self-quarantine, social distancing. Uh, and uh, Kirk, uh, this is our first podcast. As you know, I am great at interrupting. Um, so I'm just going <laughs> to just interrupt you all, all over the place. And uh, so I, I'm just curious, um, can I ask you now, how, how is your uh, quarantine going? I saw you shared a video the other day of, of your daughter. You have three boys and, and one girl. And um, she was doing laps as best as she could. Would you describe to our audience what she was doing? Uh, how, old, how, old is, how old is she now? She's three? Yeah, I have four children. Uh, um, boys are uh, eight, 10, and 12. And then a three-year-old daughter has a wonderful, beautiful postscript. And uh, she um, treats our house as her own personal parkour park, I think is the best way to describe it. Is that the That's video you're, the one. you're describing? That's the one. Yeah. So our quarantine, um, we've, we haven't begun sharpening the nut long knives yet. Uh, we're trying to keep tensions to a minimum. Um, but what do you do to a three-year-old uh, when you're really not supposed to go anywhere? Um, our house becomes our own personal parkour park. And uh, you have young children as well. How are they handling this? Ooh, it's, it's, uh, it ain't great, Kirk. Um, uh, <laughs> my children are, are nine and six. 
uh, third grade and kindergarten. And uh, I mean, I have to say the one thing that, that is the biggest bummer for me is that they are both in Spanish immersion school and there is no way to simulate that at home. Um, so Jordan, uh, we picked up her Chromebook from school yesterday. Um, so she was on it a lot today. She was emailing all of her teachers. So that's good. She's typing in Spanish, but Isaac, uh, our son, like he has, he has no way to, so in, um, in fact, um, I think his teacher and another teacher are going to come over later today. Um, I don't know how long they're going to hang up, but hopefully they'll, they'll have a little interaction with him, uh, <laughs> It's long story why they're coming over. They're coming over for, uh, I guess, not that long of a story. Uh, <laughs> uh, I guess it, it is and it isn't. They're coming over to borrow a white. This is a this is a fascinating. Uh, they're borrowing a white coat from us, ostensibly. So, like, uh, my wife is a pharmacist, and back in the day, she wore white coats. Now she just wears regular clothes. Uh, her job doesn't demand that she wears a white coat, a, a lab coat. But I guess uh, Isaac's kindergarten teacher wanted to take a, a video of himself doing like a science experiment with a lab coat and uh, was looking around. <laughs> and so that's that's the selfie you saw of me uh, is I took a, I, I put it on and I took a selfie of it, of myself wearing the lab coat. And I sent it to Meg, who uh, was uh, at the infusion center with her son. Um, uh, today and uh it, like i was what i was doing is i was demonstrating that it's a ladies cut lab coat and Kirk didn't <laughs> notice that he's like i meg's like so proud of her masculine husband for putting on a ladies lab coat and taking a selfie and kirk's like what it looks nice like what's the big deal so clearly clearly it didn't look ladies cut to you it's it's hard it was hard to convey the twinkle oh, okay. in my eye via text <laughs> okay all right all right um on the inside it does say I, I thought you okay. looked svelte. Yeah. Let's On the inside, that. there's a little pocket <laughs> with ladies' colors, and it says baby fat, T-H-A-T. That's the brand <laughs> of lab coat it is. No joke. So uh, I love it. You, you made it. Hey, I, 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 I try. So, so yeah, that, that's kind of why they're coming over, but he's also bringing over uh, a lady teacher, um, a former intern uh, that was in Jordan's classroom when she was a kindergartner. Uh, they're both Spanish. Uh, we think they're dating. It's not clear, but they're both coming over. They might hang a while. It'll be fun. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled for that. Uh, but the kids are, are pretty, uh, it, it was a big relief to get the Chromebook today so that Jordan um, was, I mean, she's used to getting on and making presentations. And so she was actually doing homework for part of the time. She's, she was designing a workout for PE. She was emailing every single teacher she's ever had. <laughs> Cause we're like, we got to find something for you to do. Um, Isaac, uh, he is, uh, we, we, I think Meg put uh, an Instagram story. I don't think she actually did a video compilation, but uh, I don't know if you saw the Instagram story of Isaac jumping off the furniture and doing like twists. And, yeah, I did. Yeah. I did. That's, that's pretty much how it's going. <laughs> Very impressive. Th though I gather that your wife has um, perceptively upped the rigor on his uh, Spanish lessons by um, demanding that at least when he binge watches YouTube, he watches them in Spanish. Well, we... When he watches Minecraft videos, he's so watching he, he them. Does, he does love YouTube. Or something That's his like recent uh, obsession. He loves, <laughs> for those of you who have kids a similar age, he really likes Preston Plays. And he Preston really plays. likes the Scourge of my household. Is Unspeakable a thing? Did I tell you about the night last week when we found um, uh, George 
about 12:30 a.m. red-faced red-eyed with an iPad under his pillow he he had gotten stuck on Preston Place could, and he couldn't put George, it down. he couldn't turn it off don't look into the light <laughs> oh my gosh so, that's right so yes. yep so he's my he's how about my unspeakable you don't know what unspeakable is okay that's fine that's that's so I anyway that Isaac actually likes unspeakable more <laughs> and I get it why so it, it, he has like a Minecraft channel where you'll he'll he's like a kid um at least on the on the videos but he also does like like legitimately like I can see if I were eight years old he does the coolest things like he'll he'll build like a, a three-story Lego house out of these big Legos he'll build uh, like a two-story box for inside of his house um like he just does things that like a kid would think is the cool, like whatever a, cool, a kid does, he'll do times a thousand. Like he'll do, um, he'll, he'll buy, um, pick anything that you think is cool. Like he'll buy a hundred times that many things. Or if you think a, a, a 10 foot uh, hot wheels ramp is cool, he'll do a hundred foot hot wheels ramp from the, the tippy top of his house. And this guy lives in a giant house um, because YouTubers are millionaires. So um, so anyway, yeah, we're, we're looking for Spanish, um, options. Um, and Meg Googled Minecraft Spanish and it was like, <laughs> what Meg realized the hazard of this is, is like, we have no idea what he's watching that, um, it was like a Minecraft story. Like someone was narrating, people were like stabbing each other with swords and shooting each other. And, and, uh, yeah, so, um, we don't know what it was. Uh, we should have had Jordan up here translating, but, um, yeah, not sure. So, so I guess the, the, the best analogy to our childhood or my childhood would be uh, my zeal for Masters <laughs> of the Universe, which uh, featured He-Man or, or um, Transformers. And I, I bet I gibbered at my parents um, endlessly uh, about the most recent episode. And they probably politely uh-huh, uh-huh, smile and nod as they're going about making dinner or whatever. Um, and I wonder if the words coming out of my mouth uh, made as little sense or and were as boring as my numbing as <laughs> my children's description of their latest Minecraft uh, exploits. Uh, because I got to say, I have trouble being a good father when they, especially my my oldest bride. When he and then the they built, they did an ender dragon. Oh, and then my uh, there was a wither and there was a, like uh, oh. that's extended my Minecraft <laughs> And so-and-so blew up the nether portal. And I'm just like, this was when I talked about He-Man killing Skeletor. And my, and my parents were just wanting to stab their eardrums. So you haven't, uh, I know, a, I know a um, dad. I went over to, to, to the house just to like pick up something or drop something off. Like we're not like close friends or anything, but I walked in and, and they were like, he was playing Minecraft with the kids. And I was just like, well, gosh darn it! Like, what what a guy you are because like that's a big sacrifice to like learn how to play so that you can play something that I find totally unappealing. Yeah, um, Bryden has has asked me like rather, a heart um, dad. Why, why don't you learn Minecraft? Yeah, really, kind of sat sat down several times and said, "This is this is important to me, and I know that you're looking for ways of spending quality this time is how we with do me, it. and this would be the way." And and how do I tell them that that this would be a sure sign of the apocalypse <laughs> if I sat down and spent a quality thirty minutes? This would be the first the first scroll opened by the first horseman <laughs> of the apocalypse. 
I mean, it's just not going to happen. I, I don't, I mean, this is, this is surely the sensation of getting old, right? When you not, not only do you not understand um, what your children are talking about, but you can't picture ever even <laughs> wanting to <laughs> and just being very okay with that. There are a lot of things, Brian, that right? we can connect like this about. Is... <laughs> so many things. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so um, today, uh, Christopher, you had suggested, and I think quite helpfully, that we begin, um, before diving right into our scripture segment, that we begin with kind of our Christian biographies or our spiritual biographies to give uh, listeners a sense of who we are, where we're coming from, and hopefully to help them connect with us. And uh, we don't know um, how, how much of this episode this will take, um, but we think that this is kind of important. Um, so, uh, Christopher, uh, sure. would you like to start? Yeah. Um, yeah. My hope was that by sharing with our listeners who we are and where we came from, it would explain some things and, and you'd understand kind of, um, the things that formed us. And, um, cause we, we hope that we have a, a listenership that is, that is diverse and, um, Yeah. It's uh, we each have unique experiences that shape us and form us. And Kirk and I have, have many things in common, but um, hopefully by sharing uh, these things, you'll kind of understand who we are today. So uh, we were raised by um, uh, our, our dad is a Methodist pastor. Our mother, um, she was a German and and a PE major. Um, they got married right out of college. Um and dad was a uh, math and, and uh, physics uh, major, uh, also in education. So both were in secondary education. Um, dad t- taught for one year. <laughs> and um, it's interesting that both Kirk and I, uh, I used to be a teacher. I taught for eight years. And, um, and uh, Kirk, how long have you taught now? Um, this is my 11 11th year. Um and uh, mm-hmm. it's interesting the even in our extended family, there's a lot of teachers. Um, Dad uh, got into teaching. He did it for one year. And she was like, this is not <laughs> for me. Uh, I remember him uh, telling uh, stories that he would have nightmares. The kids were hanging from the lights. That, like, I, and, and I totally get it. Like this, this sense of not being in control of a classroom, it, it doesn't feel good. Um, and, uh, so anyway, he, he went and, and worked for, um, Honeywell for a while, um, as a computer programmer, um, and, uh, then felt called to ordain ministry, went to seminary. And, uh, so, uh, uh, spent three years in, um, the Ohio, Indiana border area, um, served a church there. And then, uh, we were basically raised in central and Northern Minnesota. So I'm kind of filling in Kirk's bio a little bit here. Um, but dad was a, a rural pastor of, of, of a Methodist church, of two Methodist churches um, for, uh, f- we moved there when I was two. I'm going to, I hope everyone can, 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 um, uh, can, uh, 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 the words are evading me today. Uh, I think I've had a battle with the coronavirus and I'm just coming out of it. My brain isn't, but um, what's it called when you uh, are trying to like move from units to units from like miles to kilometers? Uh, what's that, what's that process called? What's that verb? You don't know either. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You, you caught me at the moment where I was staring out my window at my children 
um, hurtling out of the driveway <laughs> on their bikes into the street with a clearly not looking in either direction. You're talking about conversion, conversion between units. Yeah. I hope you can convert to between yes. units because we moved <laughs> to this place when I was two and we moved away when I was in the middle of fourth grade. I don't know how old fourth graders are, but convert from grades to, to ages. Um, and so we lived, uh, moved, lived there uh, for a, a period. Dad served two, two, uh, two churches. Um, and then he served two other churches. This may be a, a, something you don't know of, but in the Methodist church is common for a pastor to serve two churches. Uh, we would two point charge what they call it. Um, he would pre preach and, and uh, lead the service at two different places. Um, actually in Verndale for the first few years, he was at three different places. Um, remember he was at Bertha, uh, Bertha Hewitt. The, the third place being my favorite because they had the most. <laughs> I, me uh, I remember they had those, those, that was that's what's those important cream filled wafers, those crispy. Oh my gosh! Yes, oh those so cream good. wafers. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I, it's funny that I have that same memory yeah. of the cream filled wafers, the crispy. I mean, that's clearly that's right. how you get them young into the. Place. Um, so uh, Methodism. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with Methodism, uh, it came out of Anglicanism, but had has just remnants of Anglicanism. And um, so to just describe our worship, it, it wasn't sacramental. Um, it was, uh, we would have an opening hymn. We would have an opening collect or an opening prayer that was, that was um, printed. And I think we would all say that in unison. And then we would have, I think, two scripture readings, uh, maybe a song, another hymn, and then a sermon, offertory. Um, and then once a month or once, maybe every two months, we'd have communion. And uh, communion service, right. there would be a liturgy with communion. Um, so that, that was familiar. And so I, I was probably 19 years old when I first had communion without a liturgy where they just like handed out um, crackers and juice. And they're like, communion is a special time when like God loves us. And, and then we, we partook. Is that the word? We all par, we all <laughs> partook of communion partook? like but but there's no sense of consecrating the elements um uh, and of course i i don't know if you're if you're a purely memorialist if you believe that that communion is is just like in just in memory which we would say it's in memory but also um there's a real presence of jesus christ uh but anyway so that was totally unfamiliar like we were used to having a liturgy there um uh and so in fact uh being raised this way in a church that um that where we only really heard our dad preach. So we only, you know, we didn't, uh, it was interesting when I went to college and I'm sure with you too, Kirk, um, going to college and getting the choice of like, well, I, you know, I guess I'm a Methodist, but like, uh, I get, you know, I'm free to, to go to different uh, services and to it, just how foreign it was, um, to experience, um, non liturgical traditions. Um, even though like ours was a very low church tradition that we grew up in, um, to go from that to just like uh, a worship set or like four or five songs and then a sermon and then an offertory was just really unfamiliar. Um, in addition to like not having scripture readings was really unfamiliar too. Are you saying you did some of that freshman year in college? When no, I, I actually didn't. Um, or at least or... not willingly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, those would have been okay. like, I think, the, the, the first time I experienced communion with that liturgy was um, when I actually visited Meg at her home and, and visited her, her home church, um, which is kind of interesting thing. At some point, I'll share kind of her uh, kind of her coming to faith, which is really different than mine. Um, so um, 
again, just a little bit more about John Wesley and, and Methodism, um, that Wesley uh, came out of a holiness movement um, in, in the Anglican Church. Uh, and there, there were kind of two huge figures um, in England um, that were contemporaries, and that was John Wesley and, that was, and, and also George Whitfield. And both were, um, both were amazing speakers. Both uh, had, had um, incredible strengths, but also a little, I think we can acknowledge weaknesses of both. But I mean, the remarkable thing about um, Wesley was his intensity, um, not just for holiness. I mean, not only mm. would he go stand in a snowbank yes. <laughs> to like prove his holiness, but like um, just how... Well, he sought to reestablish um, weekly, mm -hmm. daily prayer book observance, which was almost wholly absent in the latitudinarian church yeah, of England in the um, 18th century. But go on. His intensity of, of like uh, of being a circuit rider and inspiring a generation of circuit riders who would preach a sermon, get on a horse, ride to the nearest town, get out, preach a sermon. And so like it wasn't just like he was preaching a sermon in the town square to a, a few dozen people. Like, like everyone – would come out and listen to him. So like these Cornish miners whose day would be spent underground in life-threatening conditions of mining coal um, would wake up early before their shift so they could hear Wesley talk. And that's a testament to how powerful of a speaker he was and, and just how much he changed the land. Um, and, uh, and, and Whitfield's, um, but, but again, what, what do we see here as far as these guys seeing that they're kind of bigger than the church? Um, not necessarily working with the church, you know, gathering crowds on their own rather than, and of course, not all of them were welcome in local parishes to, to preach. But um, like, so when we talk about their weaknesses, I think to some degree there was a little bit of vainglory there, perhaps. Um, so anyway, uh, Wesley um, uh, was kind of boxed in with the um, Anglican church being a state church. And um, his guys weren't getting ordained. And he was uh, kind of looking for a way um, to, to, to get his Methodists. They, called, they, they derisively called them Methodists because they're these methods for holiness that they, um, that, that they uh, sought. And um, the, the, the larger church didn't necessarily approve of that. Well, it's interesting. I don't want to derail um, uh, your, your train of thought. But do you, do you know the methods that uh, go ahead. he was mocked? Mm. It's mm. simply prayer book observance, <laughs> praying morning prayer, praying evening prayer, mm. um, observing the fasts and the feasts um, that would occur midweek, which I, I gather by um, the early 18th century were no longer really faithfully observed by any clergy in Oxford and Cambridge, which is to me shocking. And um, and there is much sick in much of Anglicanism now, but but at least all of our calendars we've got everywhere, the mm -hmm. midweek observances, and they're all there um, to be seen for all the clergy. Mm -hmm. But but at that point, those were the methods, right? So he was actually fasting when he was supposed to, um, when the prayer book said. And he was actually up for Yeah, and that, that is morning. interesting that he so was anyhow, like on. the faithful Anglican um, <laughs> be, because um, – Right, precisely. Uh, because like his the, – the church that result that, that has come out of – uh, the Wesleyan movement isn't all that Anglican. So that, that's just very interesting to me that he, he thought that communion should be um, observed, should be, um, should be uh, done at minimum of once a week, at minimum of once a week. Um, and th that, for whatever reason, didn't cross the Atlantic with Methodism. 
And I don't think even in, in England is all that common to be sacramental. Um, and uh, so, so I find that very interesting. And, and where he ended up parting with, with um, Anglicanism was that he, um, as he, when he went to the Greek of the New Testament, he said, ah, well, this word that we see as bishop and the word, the, the word that we see as presbyter or pastor is really the same word in the New Testament. Like there's no distinction in his mind. Um, and he said, so basically that means I can ordain people. And then so he started ordaining people, which ended up with him getting, I don't know if he got defrocked or, but he, like he was no, like he, by doing that, removed himself from the Anglican movement. Uh, so I, I raise all of this just to emphasize the point that despite it kind of coming out of Anglicanism, um, there, there isn't much of a, uh, it's, it's interesting that the Methodist church that we were raised in didn't have much of a holiness um, vibe to it. And it certainly wasn't sacramentalist. No. Um, uh, and no. it was, it was kind of mildly liturgical. And in fact, um, Methodism doesn't really mean a lot anymore. Like, uh, if you would walk into 20 different Methodist churches across the country, you might have 20 totally different experiences. And so, so the only thing that unifies them is a polity in that, like they are unified ecclesially, um, but that is probably going to change very soon. So, um, so that, that leaves us at college for me, um, kind of searching for, um, and, and certainly being the younger brother, Kirk is three years older than me. Kirk kind of paved the way for, um, I think, um, in the introduction to Anglicanism. So uh, when in 1998, Kirk, I would have been 15. Kirk would have been 18. Um, we had just finished our um, ninth grade and senior year, freshman and senior years. Uh, we, we spent a summer in England, a better part of a summer in England. And, and you know, we got to mm -hmm. go to these. To We didn't go to Canterbury that time, did we? Yes, we did. No? That was... Okay. Um, uh, we went to Salisbury. Um, uh, you know, we went to all... Uh, and they're kind of mixing these up uh, the, the, the next time I we went to Durham, but I guess we were already Anglicans at that point, but like we got to, to, to ex Bath Abbey. Bath, Bath Abbey. I saw an African Bishop preach at Bath Abbey in 1998. That was a very dramatic yeah, and effective yeah, experience yeah. for me, but this is your story right and now. I think, Forgive me. <laughs> I mean, maybe at, at like Easter or Christmas Eve, like we would experience kind of like um, liturgical sacramental, like, and, and so I kind of use those things exclusively because there are liturgical churches that aren't sacramental. Um, I don't, I, I suppose there are sacramental churches that aren't liturgical, mm -hmm. but, um, but for me, liturgy really connected in ways that when I, um, I don't know if I went to intentionally went to churches that were non-liturgical, but I certainly experienced non-liturgical, I guess, probably the chapel services that we were required to attend, what, 16 a semester? Um, and yeah, was... I don't know what number it was. <laughs> which do do you remember? Do you remember I got into trouble uh, my senior year? I couldn't be bothered to attend all the mandatory services. They give you so like an empty thing, <laughs> and I had to write a quote. I got an empty sleeve, and I had to write a quote chapel paper later that summer, and then submit. I that think you had. To a, I, I think you had to do a number I, of I them. I forget how many for every behind. chapel card or every chapel you missed. And again, like there were right. three opportunities. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there was a whole black market of of chapel. Yeah. <laughs> I no, I do appreciate like the cat and mouse game. I get what what Grove City was trying to do, and I, I, 
I actually, I don't have like a libertarian streak, like saying like, how dare they demand? Like if, if you accidentally encounter God, if, if five out of a hundred kids accidentally encounter God because they're made to attend chapel, is it worth it? Yeah, it's worth it. So, yeah, you know, whatever. But, kids but, are gonna but, but as a Go kid, on. like who attended a country church, um, you know, with, with, uh, with a hymnal, like show up at and, and encounter, just like we'd go to chapel and there'd just be like songs and then, <laughs> and then like another song and then, and then a speaker. Um, like that was just really foreign to me. And I'm just like, uh, and of course this sounds very consumeristic, but you know, I'm just kind of like, I can't connect with this, like this, um, this, this music, it, it just doesn't work a lot for me. And, um, so Kirk had paved the way. Um, he had started attending an Episcopal church um, uh, nearby. Um, but, but by the time I arrived at Grove City, um, that, at the, we went to the same college out in Pennsylvania. Uh, that um, priest, I think, had, had, had left or retired or something. Um, and uh, so for two years, I went to mm -hmm. Presbyterian churches, checked out the Methodist church, um, uh, and, and just kind of was, was like really, um, what I was really longing for was, was, um, a small C Catholic church that kind of connected us to kind of the ancient rhythms, uh, but also is relevant for today. So this, the, what, what Anglicanism, what we call it is we call it the ancient future faith, the, this connection to the ancient world, um, and, and, and the original Christians. Um, but it also pushes into the future in that, like, we are not uh, reenactors, you know, they're civil war reenactors who dress up in, or even, I guess they're probably middle ages, you know, Renaissance fair types who, who dress up and reenact things. And, and that's not what we're doing. Um, but we uh, our, our future is ancient, but also is, is, is very relevant for today. And, 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 and uh, really just pushes um, is, is always kind of uh, changing with the times and, and has uh, variants for local custom. So, uh, I guess uh, I've gotten long-winded in my bio, but um, uh, Kirk was attending a church <laughs> and invited me there. I, I went a few times, but was still in college and was like kind of far separated. Um, but when I when I graduated and moved to Pittsburgh, um, that became my home church and really, really formed me. Um, just attending and being a part of um, uh, a part of of that body um, and a part of the Anglican tradition um, made me. We should we should name that church because many of our list this this is a, a very special church, uh, Saint Christopher's Episcopal Church in Cranberry Township, Pennsylvania. Um, we have we have a lot of great mm -hmm. um, and close friends that we have made through that church, and that was I think an important parish as well sure. in all yeah. the events that happened in Pittsburgh. Yeah, in the two thousand hugely so, and and but, you know and, it's it's not like. It was something I was searching for without realizing it, and I started attending and, and connecting with some things. I, I really connected with the preaching. Um, the priest there, um, who remains Kirk's priest, is a very strong preacher, um, and I connected with that. Um, I wasn't sure what I thought Amen. about um, you know, the, the whole package of, of theology, but um, what's interesting about churches um, is oftentimes you belong before you believe, um, and so I think that's what happened. Is is I, I belonged. I, I went through um, went through the motions. I went through the patterns, and and um, those patterns became um, impressed on on me, and um, and really formed me in, in who I am today. Um, and so uh, I, I think we'll probably get to 
I've gotten pretty long winded on, on my life story. Um, there's a lot between, cause we're talking, it's 2020. Um, we're looking at like 2005 right there. So, um, but I've probably been going for 20 minutes. Do you want to move on to the scripture or do you want, um, do you want, do you want to save your bio for next week or do you want to forge ahead? Um, I'll, uh, m- maybe I can, I can do a, a fuller bio another time. I'll, uh, You've alluded to kind of my story uh, overlapping and intersecting with your story several times, so I'll I'll um, I'll briefly comment <laughs> um, so that uh, the listener can kind of picture both of our paths. Um, so I too grew up in northern Minnesota, a Methodist um, a pastor's kid, and uh, I would characterize um, kind of Methodism north of the Mason Dixon line as uh, as bland niceness um and i mean that i i not necessarily an emphasis on bland uh, the, the niceness is real um uh and the, <laughs> the um, kool-aid the really oh my too. goodness <laughs> watered down <laughs> right um and so uh, an important thing though mo- more than kind of the, the the lack of content and the lack of content I think is intentional in Methodism um, um, because the whole point is niceness, I think really. Right. Like, so the medium is the message in that regard. Um, if, if, if the pastor sounds like Charlie Brown's teachers, like if you watch Methodism with the sound off, the whole point is be nice, I think, um, which is, which is not all that that's that in itself is really important. Um, but as you and I have kind of discovered in, in our journey, um, that is not the whole picture. Um, the, the, the life that Christ calls us into is, is nice, but not even close to being merely nice. Um, uh, the, the important thing, though, was mm. I became a church rat. Um, so we have this metaphor of gym rats in basketball, right? Like the kid that you can't keep out of the gym, like the kid you have to turn the lights out in the gym to make him leave. Um, and because our, our father was constantly at two parishes, um, both when we were in central Minnesota and then and then in northern Minnesota, um, uh, we would we would many Sundays um, be two different churches, two different services. Be there early, there late, um, getting to kind of see the getting getting to see the sausage being made, as they say, right? Um, like see watching Dad rehearse a sermon, um, you know, on Friday and Saturday. Sometimes walking into his office as he's doing that, getting to see him write or think through things, seeing him read the Bible, read commentaries, seeing him pray at home in his office. And um, I think that was really and, important. And uh, might I add, uh, um, whatever year it was, uh, <laughs> since I can't do conversions here, um, we moved over to New Year's of my fourth grade year, <laughs> 1992 maybe, um, like New Year between 92 and 93 so maybe january of 93 uh, we we moved um and Mm -hmm. and showed up at church the first sunday and there was no musician so we we sang acapella and both of us um, had had um had had by force been taught how to play piano and uh, so it was like uh we we both could play and so it it, it was i don't know if it was told to us it was kind of assumed like okay well come back next sunday you guys are in charge we didn't pick the music, but like we dutifully, and and it probably took me probably a few months to really get. Well, no, Dad put a <laughs> hymnal in front of me and was like, "What can you play?" And we would leaf through things. <laughs> and I'm like, I think I can play that. And so, like, he'd put that in the bulletin, right? It's, yeah, no, I was pressed into service mid mid to late seventh grade, 
um, and you perhaps even earlier than as a result. So um, th- this was really formative for me because um, as I got into college, um, I, was a, I was a political science philosophy major. I, I could not possibly have um, combined <laughs> two more professionally useless majors, <laughs> though, they, though they have created a rich intellectual tapestry and or, to mix metaphors well from which I've been able to draw for the rest of All my kinds life. kinds of water and, and an unintentional yeah. springboard into teaching history. That's right. That's right. That's right. I am, I am so good at mixing metaphors. In, in the middle, yeah. Like <laughs> changing dramatically halfway through the metaphor, <laughs> deciding now nah, that wasn't a deep well metaphor. filled with cloth. Yeah, no, but they've been two very useful wells, but like, <laughs> that's right. Um, professionally an unfulfilling well. Anyhow, um, uh, like so many philosophy majors, I encountered Nietzsche. And just had not been given any of the tools um, uh, to read Nietzsche and not have my world rocked off its moorings. And uh, so I had probably a two-year period in which I was a really obnoxious evangelical atheist. Not atheist, agnostic. Um, and I came back to church. Uh, I, was, I was missing the patterns. Um, and, and I wouldn't say Methodist worship is particularly beautiful. I, it, it did, I didn't realize until my 20s that, um, that, that beauty isn't just kind of a side benefit to Christian worship and the Christian life, but, but a core element. And um, this is actually something in American Protestantism, much of which is, is, is downright ugly or, 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 or fashioned after um, uh, current passing cultural um, aesthetics. Um, but but uh, I, was, I was missing the, the beauty of um, just singing a hymn corporately, right? Things like that. Um, things like hearing a, a well-prepared prelude or a, or a festive postlude and, and kind of walking out um, kind of with a bounce in your step and a, kind of a message in your heart and um, just kind of those rhythms. And so I, I, I had some God-haunted philosophy major friends who were attending uh, St. Peter's uh, Episcopal Church in Butler. And... Um, and uh, that was the first time I'd ever had wine for communion. Was my was that would that have been my sophomore year, sophomore junior year? Um, and I remember being terrified <laughs> of, of the, the whole service. I'm oh my gosh, I'm going to drink the wine. I'm going to drink the wine. Can, can I can I press and, pause and, for a second? Fine, right. Um, just um, to juxtapose that with your church rat kids, and I hope sometime we could talk extensively about how big of church rats Kirk's kids are that they 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 go Kirk, Kirk does the music at two churches at yes. a, in the morning and in the evening so, I mean so they spend like literally what five six hours every Sunday at a church at least and um and so they're church rats. They, least, they know things through least, and through yeah. there's a adorable video and potentially blasphemous um of them like consecrating communion like <laughs> they've like made for themselves like a stole and maybe even a um, a, a chasuble <laughs> out of a and, green and like read through the service and consecrated elements of communion. Um, and that's the kind of the not blasphemous, but sacral I don't know, sacrilegious. Um, but 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 but, anyways, I, I these kids are church rats. Well, like, instead of playing this or playing that, they play church. And the part of church they play isn't the music, it's it's communion, it's the consecration of communion. Um, <laughs> And I believe yeah. even uh, Simon baptized someone. You have a video of him saying, I baptize you in the name, like baptizing George, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> One is reminded of Athanasius in Alexandria. Wasn't he uh, seen by the local bishop? Watching, I don't know. Walking but, the beach, baptizing but, um, people? Th- th- this all 
juxtaposed. I, I think yes. Uh, Bride and Kirk's eldest um, <laughs> took communion in uh, a couple summers ago. The whole Haberman clan was getting together for this get together, and we and out of just love for our nana, she wanted us to go to um, this church that is a special church to us. And we attended. Um, it was great, but there was communion that day, and Bryden, after drinking, turns and looks at Kirk, and he says, "That's grape juice." <laughs> In just like a way that he was scandalized. He's like, what in the world? They put grape juice where the wine's supposed to be. So, sorry for derailing. I just love, that's such a great memory of mine. Has he, has he also told you that, uh, who, was it you or, or Paul? So, someone inquired of him. Um, so, do you drink from the chalice or do you intinct? Intinct is the form of taking communion where you take the host and you dip it um, if you'd rather prefer not to drink from the chalice. And he's like, well, whatever I do in the morning, I do the opposite That's in great. the evening. So, so, uh, so evangelical so, any, agnostic anyhow, Kirk um, is still going to church you, in Butler. Go. I'm saying I, I very quickly within the first couple of Sundays ask if I can sing in the choir. Um, I'd missed church music and I had, I'd sung in the chapel choir at, um, at Grove city college as well. And, um, so I, um, I, I'm kind of back into church life. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and I don't know how, how much of a believer I am. Um, but I'm clearly struck by, um, by the beauty, um, the amount of silence, the amount of prayer, um, that is in a in an Anglican Episcopal service, and and I remember thinking, um, in my f- kind of at that service at at St. Peter's and Butler, um, if you believed that God were actually present, um, this is what you would do, and and by that I mean um, uh, kneeling, um, bowing as the cross um, what comes down the aisle. Um, bowing before the altar. Um, I, I, people were making a gesture before the gospel reading, which Anglicans are familiar with, crossing their foreheads, their lips, and their hearts, that the gospel is, is in their mind, on their mouth, and in their heart. And, uh, and, and my takeaway was, if we believed that God were actually present and that God were holy, um, this, is what, this, is how, this is how we would posture ourselves. So, um, and... And that left a deep impression upon me and kind of informed um, how I, I don't want to say choose churches, makes it sound like a smorgasbord, but um, why I attend where I attend and why I take my family where I take my family. Um, so uh, I, it, let me fast forward to out of college. And I remember I was going to a, a beautiful church in the east end of Pittsburgh, Calvary Episcopal Church. Um, and I remember during, uh, during the creed after the sermon, I, uh, I realized that I was rather immodestly like bellowing out the creed. Um, and I realized that I believed it. I believed it. I believed it. Um, so I'd been going, um, kind of because I was going with several friends that were going and also just to kind of, um, uh, now, it's a, I wonder yeah, how much church ease we're talking here. You said, lovely church. You, you said, you said the creed and you, and you were, you were saying yes, it and you realized yes. you believed it. And um, wh- what are you talking about? 
That's a very good point. Yes. Um, so in a, a, a classic liturgical service of the Western church. So I mean, what do I mean? I mean, Catholic, um, probably Lutheran, Anglican, um, maybe perhaps some Presbyterian churches, sort of the inherited liturgy of the Western church. After the sermon comes something called the Nicene Creed, um, which is basically a summary of, of faith. Um, perhaps you've heard it, listener. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Um, and it, it goes through kind of a, a rather thorough confession of faith, kind of the, the I shouldn't say the first, the second major important confession of faith that was codified by the church. The origins of the Apostles' Creed are, are murkier. Um, but yeah, so I'm yeah. confessing kind of, a, what would you say, a two minute long kind of list of truths mm -hmm. that the basic truths that we as all Christians confess is true. Um, and, um, and so I, I, I realized that I believed it. And that kind of has been a turning point for me. I probably would have been like 23. Um, and I've since then been drawn deeper and deeper. Um, um, music is a gift that I, that I have that I can offer to the church. And it has been a great delight for me to offer. Um, I, I love church music. And I think particularly in our, in our little corner, um, uh, English church music is is uh, one of the great gifts that we have to offer to the rest of the church, both East and West. And I like to say at the important moments of your life, um, when your children are baptized, um, when you're married, when you're buried at Christmas, at Easter, everyone dresses up and plays Anglican and sings all our songs <laughs> and wants all our music there. So um, I, 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 it is a great joy of mine to have Anglican church music as part of the daily and weekly rhythms of my life. So I think we, we have, if people don't know us rather well right now, they, they, they may never will. Yeah. We, we should get on to, to our next segment, Christopher. Um, so every, every week we would like to, um, to read to you um, the gospel for the coming week. So you can kind of get it in your ears and in your hearts and on your lips. Um, and so then when and you on hear it on Sunday and when it's, Indeed, yes. And when it's indeed when it's preached to you, um, you'll kind of be prepared and uh, hopefully um, all the more ready for the Holy Spirit to do do His work in your hearts. Um, Christopher, would you uh, would you introduce and read the gospel for us for this uh, coming? What is this? The fifth sure. Sunday. In um, so the Sunday gospel lesson comes from John chapter eleven, and just a brief introduction. John is a beautiful and theological. Um, gospel of the four. Um, the other three are called um, uh, synoptic gospels, which is it just means that they're similar. They're 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 kind of the same in in the fact that they tell many of the same stories um, in a different way. Just as many as as uh, you or I or other eyewitnesses would tell things a little bit differently based on our personalities and who we are and what we notice and what we feel is important. Um, John John um, is very different, and it's. It's organized around, uh, <laughs> I should know this, sevens, like my brain's not working today, seven signs and seven IMs. Um, so, so seven miraculous signs. And I seven, believe so. Starting with the wedding at Cana. Starting, starting with the wedding at Cana and ending this. with. I was, was going to say this. I was going to say this. This, right? Yeah. Isn't this and the last? seven IM. <laughs> um, so, yeah. so you know Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. 
I am the resurrection and the life. I am the vine and you are the So seven I am statements, um, of course, connecting, Jesus was connecting himself to the God who told, when Moses said, what is your name? He said, I am sent you. Um, and so there's a very significant thing uh, that he is saying there. Um, uh, and I, I just, I love um, this particular chapter and I love this entire gospel it is a beautiful um and again just mm. just the things mm. that john focuses on that aren't in the other gospels the wedding at cana isn't in the other gospels but it's a beautiful story of of this foretaste of this um the the marriage feast of the lamb um and uh so what we have here is we, we have a reminder that jesus had earthly friends that he wasn't just this um he wasn't just a spiritual being. He was a flesh and blood being. And, and I remember when I preached two weeks ago on, on um, Jesus encountering the woman at the well, um, uh, where like it says he was tired and he was thirsty. Like he'd been walking all day. And um, like these things we shouldn't gloss over um, because it, it is intensely important and theological to remember um that um, Jesus was both fully God and fully man. Uh, why is this important, Kirk? Uh, well, this creed that we came, that we mentioned, the Nicene Creed, um, was the result of a heresy that circulated <laughs> in the church, where a guy named Arius, um, his teaching that Jesus was that of course God couldn't be like Jesus couldn't be um, like this this idea in his mind um, that, that man is so low and God is so great that of course God wouldn't. God wouldn't condescend to be a man, would he? Um, and um, so the, the church got together at um, at this ecumenical council um, where all the bishops gathered and they discussed this. And and um, it was actually in the subsequent um, uh, council that they came out with the Nicene Creed. But um, but they 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 got that um, formula of faith that God is you know uh, fully uh, Jesus is fully God, fully man. Um, and, and that's an important thing for us to remember as we approach this. There was a guy who, who, who had earthly longings that he was like us in every way, except without sin. Um, and uh, we, um, we see that he loved these people that, um, and so I don't know, like Kirk, uh, I think, did you listen to my entire podcast talking about this? Okay. So you know that I have a lot to say, so I could, I I did I did so, so, so my, I all, I always my, um, listen to every my introductory comments could be an hour <laughs> um so I'll cut myself off and and um and uh, I'll just I'll read it because it's a wonderful thing I'm going to start um at verse 18 in John 11 Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles off and many of the Jews had come to Mar Martha and Mary to console them concerning the brother so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I in the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. 
When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you have always hear me, but I said on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, Christopher, you just um, expounded uh, rather beautifully and eloquently um, on the aforementioned uh, podcast <laughs> um, recently. And um, do you have any, any brief thoughts on this um, as kind of people can so, kind of go about their week? What uh, the podcast Sunday? was, was um, a friend of mine has a podcast and invited me on. And he had been asking people for a particular to, to talk about a particular verse that, that really was was significant to them. And, and, and so I chose like, mm. it was kind of mm -hmm. like, um, involuntarily, like, like, um, someone like, like the doctor hitting his little hammer on your, like uh, a reflex. Like I was like, uh, Jesus wept, um, kind of jokingly <laughs> John eleven thirty five, shortest verse in the Bible. Um, but the reason that that was on my tongue, <laughs> right. Uh, is that like, it is in the middle of a passage that is, is actually really important to me. Um, and important at a time like this, when we see widespread suffering and, and we may, you may not know someone who has, uh, lost someone due to the coronavirus, but uh, you're maybe one degree removed from a, a coronavirus death of this worldwide pandemic that is hitting and is killing thousands of people worldwide. Um, and, and so the automatic thing for us to do is to, to say, where is God in this? Like, where is God's care and provision and love um, in the midst of this? And um, we think in a very um, almost uh, quid pro quo sense that like, well, 
isn't this what we do? Like, don't we go to a church to appease our God? Like, isn't that ultimately what religion is globally and throughout human history is that you offer sacrifices to appease your God and your God either spares you from things or gives you gifts, whether it's a fertility God or a God of, of um, an agricultural God who will give you rain for your crops. Um, but in fact, Christianity is the end of religion, right? That, that that um that Jesus is our great high priest, but he's also the, the victim, he's also the sacrifice. And um and so so God, uh, Jesus, who is God, um can can look at sin and death and be truly grieved by it. And so when I see Jesus um weeping here, he, what's weird, like what we have to point out is that he knew that he was gonna resurrect Lazarus in just a few minutes, which raises the point. So what's, why is he crying? Like Lazarus is going to be alive and kicking and doing whatever it is that is Lazarus' biggest hobby. I, what were hobbies back then? I don't know. Like staying alive, not getting the plague, like whatever, it, like Lazarus was going to be himself again. And, and in community, all these mourners, they would be amazed and they would rejoice with the sisters rather than rather than uh, weeping and grieving. Um, so, so we have to say, what's Jesus weeping about? And what I think is that I need to take a brief pause here because Isaac's home. Um, <laughs> all right, Christopher, your very enthusiastic son just burst in. Always a uh... A welcome voice. The question is, why, why was Jesus weeping? So Knowing that he was going um, to raise Lazarus were, from the uh, dead, uh, like his death was a was 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 a four day deal, um, and and in fact, Jesus knew he was dead. And, and what I think is, just as um, we see at at the um, the miracle of turning the water into wine at the wedding feast at Cana, of Jesus almost looking into the future, like and seeing the, the wedding feast of the lamb, like what, what I see him doing here is, is, is weeping over all the grief of all the deaths, all, which are all a result of sin that we weren't designed for this, that it was through Adam and Eve's sin, that death came into the world. And that like this, that this death affects the heart of God, that Jesus is grieved that, that death happens, that, that disease and suffering and death happens and this is a tremendous comfort to you and me in that we are not alone in our suffering. That when we, uh, when we suffer, when we, when we, uh, whether it's a personal suffering of pain or whether it's that we are grieving because of, of something that someone close to us is going through, that, that Jesus is not detached at all from this. Um, because as, as Hebrews teaches us that he was like us in every way, except without sin. And, and the whole of scripture points that to Jesus in taking on humanity, um, experienced these things just as we experience mm. these things. Um, so we have a God that is not able, um, that is not unable to, um, sympathize with us mm. in our pain, but in fact knows what it's like. So I uh, I'd remembered reading at one point that St. Awesome. Ambrose wrote rather profoundly about this passage, and I found it. I found what he had said. Um, this echoes um, what what you the point hmm. you just made. Uh, St. Ambrose, who who baptized Augustine, um, a church father that uh, that many of you um, may know and love. Um, St. Ambrose writes, "Christ became all things to all men, poor to the poor, rich to the rich, 
weeping with the weeping, hungering with the hunger, hungry, thirsting with the thirsty, full with the abounding. Mm. He is in prison with the poor man and with Mary, he weeps. Um, and so he is, uh, as he was alongside Mary, so he is alongside us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, in, and enduring it with us, right? He mm-hmm. wasn't just there mm-hmm. for a shoulder for Mary to cry on, but cried with Mary. And that is, I think, a, a very, very powerful, powerful point. Um, to honor our time. <laughs> well, what is segment two? Um, we are about so at an hour here. To, uh, so what is segment, segment two? two? Yeah. Yep. Theology. Um, now, today for theology, we have a... a a super broad topic. And then I have two miniature topics within it. Um, um, but Lent, uh, many of you might be liturgical Christians who observe Lent. Uh, and many of you may not. Um, Lent is the period, uh, the 40 days, not including the Sunday, um, from Ash Wednesday to Easter. Um, Easter is a movable feast. Uh, it is determined by the cycles of the moon. So sometimes it's in late March and sometimes it's in mid to late April. Um, this year it lands on uh, April 12th. And so uh, Lent lasts, lasts essentially six Sundays um, after, after um, Ash Wednesday. And uh, Lent is uh, really appropriately timed this year, Christopher, wouldn't you say with um, yeah, the- our uh, involuntary confinement? <laughs> Um, it's forcing us in many ways to do battle with um, kind of our desires, uh, our thoughts. Yeah, the joke um, that I see circulating is people saying, I didn't plan on giving up this days. much for Lent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, so I have some thoughts about, um, quote, giving up for Lent. I, um, but I kind of want to give you the floor first. Um, what do you have? Do you have any kind of anything for the listener here well, um, regarding Lent or your particular say Lent that this year? That this coronavirus sure put a dent in what we had planned for Lent because you know whatever it is that you uh, that you've planned to fast from and to also um, so so we put some things away and we pick up other things um, as as a way as as we hunger for those things which we are fasting from and and. Sometimes that is a um, literal fast of food, and when we uh, feel that hunger, we are atu- like we are well aware of our need for Jesus. Um, when we, uh, when and, and as I kind of advised some people who were like thinking of fasts to do, what I advised them is like, don't think like if you ever fail, don't ever like dwell on the failure of your fast. Because what that teaches you is your desperate need for Jesus. Like that's, that's not like if you're, if you're fasting every Friday and not eating any food, um, Mm. maybe all day or maybe not, maybe only for dinner. Um, and you fast during the day. Uh, and if, if you, in a moment of weakness, go buy a cheeseburger or a fish filet, um, like that's not a failure so much as like a reminder of like, what like what we come to church for is because like Jesus did for us what we could never do for mm. ourselves, and um, so as much as it would be easy to be like, well, my personal spiritual plan for myself was totally disrupted by uh, this worldwide pandemic. Um, I, that would be a tempting thing to say, um, but like having to love our children, um, you know. And it's, I remember one priest told me during Holy Week. 
like holy man, like they were they were, they were just interrupted left and right by like homeless people that like needed food or clothing or like and 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 like they were just like annoyed by it. And then they're mm. like, wait a second, mm. like um, what I did for the least of these, like that's that's the important thing. Not that I like do all the prep for this service and all the prep for that. Because um, holy, I mean, obviously, Holy Week prep is a big and, and arduous thing uh, mm. for pastors and priests. But um, anyway, it, it would be easy um, from a human point of view to be like, "Well, God, you like really disrupted my plans." But like, God has called us to like love our kids in a confined environment, which is a huge challenge. And so, like, make plans, and God laughs mm. and um, turns them up, upside down, and and. Let's embrace that and, and embrace what the Lord has for us, um, including like uh, Lent is a time of almsgiving. So extra giving to the poor and the needy. And um, this season is there's going to be a lot of poor and needy. So let's prepare for that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, yes. Well, well said. Uh, I, I recently encountered um, uh a wise kind of Lenten proverb um, that mm. it is not often as much what you give up as what you take up. Um, and, uh, and we're, we're familiar, perhaps some of us are familiar with um, the fasting aspect of Lent, but mm-hmm. there, but, but the taking up of prayer, which now we all have time. Right? Um, and the, the almsgiving, um, uh, the, the people's need will be uh, very evident and pressed into our, into our faces. I have, um, and I'll include it in, in the show notes. Um, there's this lovely book that, that was put out. I, I don't have the date in front of me. I'd say a, a, around 1900. Um, it's a picture book that was intended for children in the Church of England. Um, it's by Enid Chadwick, and it's called My Book of the Church Years. And I, I, I shared that link, Christopher, with you. And, uh, and I'll share this link with you as well, dear listener. And under the Lenten section, um, it has a page devoted, and it has very effective um, pictures. It shows our Lord casting off the devil um, after being tempted in the wilderness, get thee hence Satan. And then it lists our three weapons, um, and prayer, it says, is our weapon against the devil. And amen, that is so. And um, we, could, we could, within 30 seconds, find 10 different passages in Scripture commending that to us. Um, fasting is our weapon against the flesh. And I, I would kind of add in 21st century speak, I would say our desires. Um, we don't maybe kind of know what we mean when we say to go, go to war against the flesh in 2020. But we do know what we mean when we say we don't, we know that our desires are hurting us and are killing mm. us. And then almsgiving, um, uh, charity is our weapon against the world. Um, and, and I think that's been a helpful way for me to think and frame um, kind of Lent and how to approach Lent. I, uh, I've kind of um, gotten deeper in the last two years um, with fasting, and I don't, I don't say this to boast, so I won't get into specifics. Um, but I, I will echo what you have said, Christopher, which is you, you quickly, mm-hmm. when you actually fast, butt up against the weakness of your spirit and the power of your desires. And that is, um, that is a, a, a bracing um, and humbling realization um, that our willpower is not what we think. Um, when we go beyond a rumbling stomach into kind of a deeper fast, um, 
that's nothing life-threatening that's merely uncomfortable and how as 20th 21st century american christians um we we can't even really deal with discomfort um you and i have this is not to these are people that we love you and i have been all been around people who maybe a, a meal is starting late and they say oh my blood sugar is low do you have anything and of course their blood sugar is mm-hmm. not low right they're not otherwise they'd be diabetic what they mean is i'm uncomfortable right um <laughs> And uh, um, so I would really, really commend this to you, uh, the listener. Um, this is not a work to be offered up to God, as some, as many imagine. I, I, Christopher, you and I both have many good, faithful Catholic friends for whom in kind of casual Catholic piety, I think at its worst, um, fasting mm-hmm. um, can be thought of as kind of your Lenten work, your Lenten offering to God. And I, I think you would echo the fact that it is not an offering to God. Um, it's, uh, but rather it is, it is a way, it is a, something that we must do in ourselves to war yeah. against our, our no. desires no. and our flesh. Do you have anything to add to that or can we move on? Yeah. You, all right. Um, two things that are coming up tomorrow is the Annunciation. Um, and uh, as Anglicans and sort of pseudo Protestants, actual Protestants, depending upon your Anglican churchmanship, um, we have maybe have some weird ambiguity about that. Um, I think that we should not be embarrassed of the church calendar and of saints. And um, there's a simple way to remember saints without idolatry, particularly the mother of our Lord, um, which is the saints offer a, um, a, an encouragement, a picture, an image, an inspiring image of godly living. Um, and uh, whether it's the Lord of the Rings or... Um, maybe the Marvel movies, we've all seen stirring pictures of heroism that really kind of make us want to be better. Um, and, and I think the Lord of the Rings or Marvel movies are sort of imperfect, uh, kind of shadowy um, ways in which we're stirred up to be better. And, and the saints are actually, um, I think the churches and God's way of um, stirring us to, to holy living um, uh, we see the way St. Paul poured himself out for the church in mission. And uh, for many, many Protestants, he is inspiring, right? Um, and I think uh, with Mary, um, we can, she has the first hand. She, she's got a sideline view for our Lord's entire life. Um, and particularly if you think of the Gospel of Luke as kind of Mary's unofficial gospel, right? We, um, it's only in the Gospel of Luke that we have her, her pregnancy, um, her visit with Elizabeth. We have the birth narrative. Um, and uh, we through, and through the wedding at Cana, that's in John. And then through Mary at the foot of the cross, she's there beginning, middle, and end. And um, we see our Lord um, through her eyes. And uh, that should certainly be honored. Um, and so I think that we, uh, we should not shy away from honoring that. So I would encourage you all on Wednesday, um, or when you're listening, it, listening to this retrospectively, to, um, to uh, say a prayer. And particularly those of you who are Anglican, um, we have liturgies on our websites. We have, not liturgies even, um, prayers, just a collect and some reading that you can do. Um, so on Wednesday, even if it's just reading the Magnificat, um, or the birth narrative, um, you can honor 
honor um, Mary, uh, particularly the Annunciation of our Lord Jesus Christ to the Virgin Mary. That is when the angel Gabriel appears to Mary and says, blessed are you among women and blessed are, is the fruit of your womb. And that is the, um, when our Lord is conceived. And so this is a, a great moment. Love for it. Us as Christians. Love Magnificat. And honor. I love it. Any thoughts, Christopher? It's so great. Everyone should go read it right now. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Luke three, uh, something. Mm. And it, I'll look it up. Super prepared. We, we are clearly super prepared on this. <laughs> yes. Yeah, um, right. and, uh, and I'm, I don't say this in boasting, ha, 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 but just through the practice Luke, of eating It's Luke 1, 46 song, to 55. My bad. This isn't a work of mine. I was mine. thinking I of, of the Song right? of Simeon, probably. The <laughs> so, so as Anglicans, perhaps we aren't as good at memorizing scriptures as some of our more evangelical <laughs> brethren, and yet many of us have this passage memorized. Bam. So I, I know my children do. And it's not because I'm great at catechizing. No, you sing, them. You it's sing just it, right? Like bludging it into their heads every Sunday night. On Sunday nights. <laughs> but then you say it yeah. um, other nights. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so. Un- yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, and Sunday nights we sing metrical versions of it. Um, so, so there's that. Um, yeah. There's a. There's Church a. Church Love it. G, <laughs> the service in G. Charles Villiers, Stanford. Evening church. <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> love the stanford setting <laughs> amen great anglo-irish composer high victorian church music that's great and then kind of a lastly uh, a thing coming up is john keeble is remembered on march 29th and that happens to land on a sunday so it's not like um he's going to be uh, kind of super celebrated then but um he's a very anglican specific a saintly man um uh, a, a revitalized the church with uh, John Henry Newman and, uh, and Pusey and some of the others um, in what was known as the, the Oxford Movement, writer of many tracks. And uh, I know that we're, we, uh, we'd like to wrap up here. So um, I would just commend to you the readings of John Keeble, and perhaps there may be times in the future when we will get more into him. So um, I think uh, we, we, we sort of did our culture segment, a long culture segment, um, when we when we did a biography, sounds good. Um, so I do think, you want um, me to say we're in good um, shape to end in prayer? These what three do you say, that you have listed? No. Um. Yeah, we can do that. You know, I I actually rushed to that. Do you have any final thoughts? What am I into? That's a good conversation for another editions. What are you into right now? Another time. Well, we, we've gone pretty long. So, um, the call for the day for the eve of the Annunciation of the Lord Jesus time. Christ to the Virgin like Mary. Um, let us pray. Pour your grace into our hearts, O Lord, that we who have known the incarnation of your Son, Jesus Christ, announced by an angel to the Virgin Mary, may by his cross and passion be brought to the glory of his resurrection, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Gracious Father, whose blessed Son, Jesus Christ, came down from heaven to be the true Amen. bread which gives life to the world. Evermore, give us this bread that he may live in us and we in him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Lighten our darkness, we beseech you, O Lord, and by your great Amen. mercy, 
Defend us from all perils and dangers of this night. For the love of your only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Friends Amen. and Kirk and all listeners, the grace of our Lord Thanks Jesus Christ God. and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Next week. <laughs>